إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوم ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله اشترى من المؤمنين أنفسهم وأموالهم بأن لهم الجنة يقاتلون في سبيل الله فيقتلون ويقتلون وعدا عليه حقا في التوراة والإنجيل والقرآن ومن أوفى بعهده من الله فاستبشروا ببيعكم الذي بايعتم به وذلك هو الفوز العظيم التائبون العابدون الحامدون السائحون الراكعون الساجدون الآمرون بالمعروف الآمرون بالمعروف والناهون عن المنكر والحافظون لحدود الله وبشر المؤمنين ما كان للنبي والذين آمنوا أن يستوفروا للمشركين ولو كانوا أولي قربى من بعد ما تبين لهم أنهم أصحاب الجحيم وما كان استغفار ابراهيم لابيه الا عن موعده وعدها اياه فلما تبين له انه عدو لله تبرا منه ان ابراهيم لاواه حليم وما كان الله ليضل قوما بعد اذ هداهم حتى يبين لهم ما يتقون ان الله بكل شيء عليم ان الله له ملك السماوات والارض يحيي ويميت وما لكم من دون الله من ولي ولا نصير لقد تاب الله على النبي والمهاجرين والأنصار الذين اتبعوه في ساعة العسرة من بعد ما كاد يزيغ قلوب فريق منه ثم تاب عليهم إنه بهم رؤوف رحيم وعلى الثلاثة الذين خلفوا وعلى الثلاثة الذين خلفوا حتى إذا ضاقت عليهم الأرض بما رحبت وضاقت عليهم أنفسهم وضاقت عليهم أنفسهم وظنوا ألا ملجأ من الله إلا إليه ثم تاب عليهم ليتوبوا إن الله هو التواب الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وكونوا مع الصادقين 
ما كان لأهل المدينة ومن حولهم من الأعراب أن يتخلفوا ما كان لأهل المدينة ومن حولهم من الأعراب أن يتخلفوا عن رسول الله ولا يرغبوا بأنفسهم عن نفسه ذلك بأنهم لا يصيبهم ظمأ ولا نصب ولا مخمصة في سبيل الله ولا يطؤون موطئا يغيظ الكفار ولا ينالون من عدو نيلا إلا كتب لهم به عمل صالح إن الله لا يضيع أجر المحسنين ولا ينفقون نفقة صغيرة ولا كبيرة ولا يقطعون واديا إلا كتب لهم ولا يقطعون واديا إلا كتب لهم ليجزيهم الله أحسن ما كانوا يعملون وما كان المؤمنون لينفروا كافة فلولا نفر من كل فرقة منهم طائفة ليتفقهوا في الدين ولينذروا قومهم إذا رجعوا إليهم لعلهم يحذرون يا أيها الذين آمنوا قاتلوا الذين يلونكم من الكفار وليجدوا فيكم غلظة واعلموا أن الله مع المتقين وإذا ما أنزلت سورة فمنهم من يقول أيكم زادته هذه إيمانا فأما الذين آمنوا فزادتهم إيمانا وهم يستبشرون وأما الذين في قلوبهم مرض فزادتهم رجسا إلى رجسهم وماتوا وهم كافرون أولا يرون أنهم يفتنون في كل عام مرة أو مرتين ثم لا يتوبون ثم لا يتوبون ولا هم يذكرون وإذا ما أنزلت سورة نظر بعضهم إلى بعض هل يراكم من أحد ثم صرفوا صرف الله قلوبهم بأنهم قوم لا يفقهون لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فإن تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا إله إلا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Blessed be Allah in whose hands is the dominion He it is who has made for us the earth as a solid foundation and sent upon us rain and blessed us with fruits and vegetation. He preferred the children of Adam over the rest of his creation, and he sent to us his chosen prophet 
the one promised the praiseworthy station. To Allah and Allah be- alone belongs our worship, obedience, and supplication. Today, inshallah ta'ala, we're moving on to the ninth chapter of the Qur'an. And the ninth chapter of the Qur'an, it is situated in the 10th and 11th Jews, most of the 10th and the beginning of the 11th Jews. And it is called Surat At-Tawbah, and it is also called Surat Al-Bara'ah. And remember that the surah names, typically, some of them, they come from the Prophet sallallahu but most of the surah names, there's something that the companions themselves, they agreed upon. And that's why it is common to have more than one name. And Surat Tawbah or Surat Al-Bara'ah is actually printed with with two different names uh, in different areas of the Muslim world. They have adopted one name over the other. So in some mushafs you will say Surah At-Tawbah and in some uh, printed copies you will read Surah Al-Bara'ah and it is the same Surah. It is a Surah that is composed of 129 verses and it is around one juz long in length. And it is a very, very late Madani Surah. It was revealed after the Battle of Tabuk in the ninth year of the Hijrah and before uh, the Hajj of the ninth year. And so this is the entire surah is around one year before the death of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this was the ninth year of the Hijrah, was the final year in all of human history where the pilgrimage was done both by Muslims and by idol worshippers. Muslims and idol worshippers did tawaf side by side. They did it together. The only time in the entire history of humanity is in the ninth year of the Hijrah. Then in the 10th year, our Prophet ﷺ himself came and performed the farewell pilgrimage and there was no one other than Muslims and it's been that way uh, since that point in time. So this surah was sent by the Prophet ﷺ to be recited to all of the pilgrims in the ninth year of the Hijrah. So the message of the surah was meant to spread to all of Arabia and to the peninsula and therefore this message is very clear in this uh, surah and we're going to be discussing uh, some of the highlights today inshallah ta'ala. Also remember that this surah it uh, was revealed at the very final stages of the success of uh, the religion of Islam over idolatry, over paganism and paganism was to be completely eliminated from the regions of Mecca and the surrounding lands. And this surah was meant to be the final warning. And that is why it is called Surah Al-Bara'ah. And Bara'ah means to cut off the ties with. Bara'ah means we don't have anything to do with you anymore. So Bara'ah means I am free of you. I have nothing to do with you. You are no longer a part of this region or this uh, area. Uh, Because Mecca and the surrounding lands, uh, they can only have those who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what Surah Al-Bara'ah means. And also, this surah was revealed uh, around the time of the final military campaign, and that is the Battle of Tabuk, that was supposed to be the largest campaign ever. And it would have been the only battle that the Muslims engaged directly with the Romans under the leadership of the Prophet ﷺ. The Muslims marched up north to the northernmost regions of a city called Tabuk. It is still inhabited to this day, the, the city of Tabuk in Arabia. And they were waiting for the Romans for around 20 days and the Romans or the Byzantine Empire to be more precise they never showed up but of course the Sahaba didn't know that when they marched up there and the Prophet ﷺ mandated on every adult male that you have to participate and so many of the hypocrites they gave uh, excuses to be uh, taken off the hook but of course these excuses were rejected in the surah so this is the context of the surah there's a lot going on and a lot of it deals with uh, the final stages of the establishment of Islam. So the overall goals of the surah is to purify the ummah from within and strengthen it from without. And that is by exposing the plots of the hypocrites who were double-faced, who did not want to help the religion of Islam, and also by establishing protocols between the civilization of Islam and between other civilizations. And also there are aspects of military law as well, because again, the surah was revealed in the context of some of the most important battles. We're going to be talking about the Battle of Hunayn that took place and this surah was revealed and the Battle of Tabuk as well uh, that the surah was revealed regarding. So remember the context of the surah, it is very military, a lot of battles going on and therefore not surprisingly this surah is generally speaking of the most military, in fact it is the most explicit surah when it comes to verses of a military nature and therefore uh, this surah I need to say that it is a favorite of uh, the enemies of Islam, the right wing we call them here in America, who love to cut and paste things about the Quran and then pretend 
pretend or assume or claim that Islam is a militant faith. And their favorite verse is Surah At-Tawbah, verse number five. And they simply quote three words in Arabic, which translates as kill them wherever you find them. And we're gonna discuss this verse today, inshaAllah ta'ala. And also it must be said, that even within our own uh, ummah, we know that there are people that are on the more militant or radical side, and they also cherry pick uh, verses from this surah to justify some of what they are doing. But you see, by now we should be all very clear that the Quran is a book that is taken in its whole message. You cannot pick and choose a verse out of context, devoid of how the Prophet himself understood it, and then apply it to what you think is your situation today. This is the biggest mistake that both the far right, the haters of Islam, and the militant groups, the uh, misguided extremist groups from within, they commit the exact same fallacy. And that is, they open up the Quran without any knowledge of the life of the Prophet without understanding the context, without reading the Sunnah, and they cherry pick, they take three words, here, five words there, and ironically, each one of these groups reads in the wrong message based upon their preconceived notion. So I want to have this big disclaimer because this surah really does have verses that are very easy to misunderstand, hence the necessity to contextualize. Also, uh, this surah uh, is the only surah in the Quran that does not begin with the phrase Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And uh, this uh, goes back to a number of uh, uh, interpretations. Uh, one of them is that the companions themselves, because this surah was revealed so late, and they didn't ask the Prophet explicitly about it, so they weren't sure that is it a separate surah or is it something that should be connected to Surah Al-Anfal? Because Anfal and Tawbah both deal with military topics. So one interpretation, and this is found in some of the early books of, of Tafsir, is that the Sahaba just put these two surahs together just in case they're one surah or in case they're two, and that's why they did not put the Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim uh, between them. And another uh, interpretation is that this surah does not have Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim because the surah has come down to declare a dissociation, to declare that we're not going to have anything to do with those uh, idol worshippers who want to remain in in the Arabian peninsula and therefore it is not appropriate that such a message begins with in the name of Allah the Rahman and the Rahim. This is another interpretation as well. And uh, today, because we have a relatively long surah, we're going to be uh, concentrating on some of the main uh, issues and themes. And of course, the surah uh, begins by announcing that all those who are worshipping idols within the, the lands of Mecca uh, and even the surrounding regions, that after four months, they shall have no protection. And all treaties that they might have had, all of them will be null and void. Now a new system is in power. A new civilization has come. Anything else that happened before Islam, that is now a done deal. And Allah Azza wa is giving them respite. He's saying, look, get your affairs in order. You have four months. And within those four months, if you are still worshiping false gods and the land of uh, the, the province of Hijaz in particular, if you're worshiping false gods and uh, those four months subside, you have two choices. Either you accept Islam or you leave and you go live somewhere else. You cannot remain in this land as an idol worshiper. And uh, multiple times within this surah, they are invited to accept Islam. Verse number 11. So if they repent فَإِنْتَابُوا and they start praying and they give zakah, then they are your brethren in faith. They become Muslims. Don't worry about their past. Multiple verses, Allah is saying embrace Islam. But if they refuse and they insist on remaining idol worshippers, they have four months to take their affairs. And then after four months, then that phrase comes verse number five, wherever you find them, you are allowed to execute them. And so yes, indeed, this verse did come down. And the, the verse was very clear that they are not allowed to remain in this land after four months. But the verse was meant as a ultimatum. Interestingly enough, the verse was never actually applied in that nobody was ever killed because of this verse. The verse was not actually applied at that point in time. It was an ultimatum that either you choose to embrace Islam or you are allowed to leave elsewhere. And even within the context of these very verses, read verse number six, 
How ironic when somebody who hates Islam quotes a part of verse number five and doesn't even finish the verse and move on to the next verse. The very next verse in Surah Tawbah says, and if any one of the idol worshippers asks for your protection, then give him protection so that he may listen to the speech of Allah and then take him to a place where he is safe. Then you come back to your land. Subhanallah, in the very next verse, Allah is saying, if anyone for whatever reason has an exception, they need to be protected and they're there beyond four months and they come to you and they say, look, I just want your protection and allow me to get to this country, this land. So Allah is saying, give them that protection and then allow them to go to the place they are safe in. And again, this verse is very clear. Islam is not a faith that is intentionally militant or bloodthirsty, not at all. Yes, there is a reason to go to war. And yes, indeed, the Muslims of the past, they had an offensive war as well. The Muslims of today, they have a, a defensive war when there needs to be. That is very true, very clear. And the verses of the Quran are explicit in this uh, regard. In the next section, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the importance of the masajid and especially Masjid al-Haram. This is one of the reasons why idol worshippers should not be in Mecca. That Allah is saying, verse number 17 to 22, it is not befitting that those who worship idols take care of and maintain the masajid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the masjid, the Kaaba, it is a sacred place. It is the, the house of Ibrahim. And Allah is saying that it is not befitting, ma kana. It's not appropriate that those who worship false gods, they are the ones in charge of this holiest of holy. Allah explicitly says in the next verse, it is only those who believe in Allah and who believe in the last day and who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who establish the salah, they should be the ones who take care of all masajid and especially Masjid al-Haram. This verse also shows us by the way, and uh, this is very explicit, that those who love Allah, they are attached to the masajid. Those who expect the reward of Allah, those who establish the salah, they are attached to the uh, masajid. And uh, this surah as well, uh, it mentions uh, verses that make the bonds of the ummah established. It mentions verses that uh, strengthen the ties of the ummah. Verse number 24 is usually quoted in this regard that say if your parents and your children, your siblings and your spouses, your relatives and the wealth that you have acquired, the businesses that you worry about, the homes that you love, if all of these worldly matters are more beloved to you than Allah and His Messenger and striving in His way, then wait until the judgment of Allah comes and Allah does not guide the sinful people. And this verse shows us the issue of priorities. For a Muslim, all of these other aspects, your wealth, your family, your children, your spouses, your business, your house, all of these, they are not the end goal. They are not our gods. We do not dedicate our lives for them. On the contrary, they are a part of our lives, yes. And that's why it's nothing is wrong with any of these things, but we integrate our worldly affairs to the higher cause of the worship of Allah. We utilize our wealth and we spend it on ourselves and our children and we spend it on the sake of Allah. We utilize all that we have, our businesses, our homes, and we make them into places of uh, preaching and teaching, of moral and ethical values. None of these are inherently wrong, but Allah is saying, if you love all of this more than the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this is your priority, then that's not right. Rather, for the Muslim, all of these are integrated and they are loved for the sake of Allah and they are utilized in your travel and journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The end goal is the pleasure of Allah and to get there, you can use all of these and you should and it is a part of your responsibility. But whoever makes his end goal, his wealth, his business, his house, whoever makes his end goal this world, he has failed everything. So this is what this verse is talking about, getting your priorities in order. Uh, the next passage as well, from 25 to 26, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the battle of Hunayn. And by the way, the trivia here uh, is that this is the one of two battles only that Allah mentions by name in the Quran, by name. Many battles are referenced, but there's only two battles that are mentioned by name in the Quran. Here, there is the battle of Hunayn, وَيَوْمَ Hunaynin. And inshallah, I'm uh, asking the, the viewers to tweet out what is the, where is the location and the name of the second battle mentioned in the Quran. You can use your tweets for that. So this is the battle mentioned by name, the battle of Hunayn. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a very important lesson for all of us in the battle of Hunayn. In the battle of Hunayn, when did it take place? 
It took place after the conquest of Mecca. And it took place when the Muslims had one of the largest armies they had ever combined, and that is 12,000 people. And it took place against uh, the people of uh, Ta'if and um, Hawazin and others. And uh, the Muslims, some of them, when they were marching out, uh, one of them looked around and he saw all of this masses and he said, there is no way we can ever lose. There is no way we can ever lose. We have this strength and power. And uh, the tribes of Hawazin and Thaqif, they set up a trap and the Muslims walked into that trap. And many of them, they faltered and fled until the Prophet stood up and called them back. And then they responded and they eventually uh, won over. But there was a time when they thought they would lose. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala references this in the Quran. On the day of Hunayn, when your numbers impressed you, when you thought that just because you have a large army that you're never going to be uh, defeated. And so Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala reminds us, one of the key points here uh, about the Battle of Hunayn is that we should never rely on the means. We should never be deluded by the mechanisms, by the steps that we take. We take the steps, but our heart is attached to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, And Allah gently chastises the Muslims. And on the day of Hunayn, when your numbers deluded you, and you forgot that Allah is the one who grants victory, not your numbers. So don't be deluded, don't, be, uh, don't put your trust in the means. The means are there, you do them, but the trust is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a beautiful lesson from uh, the story of Hunayn that is mentioned in Surah At-Tawbah. Also, uh, there are many verses regarding the hypocrites, regarding the munafiqoon who refused to obey the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when the command came. This is the Battle of Tabuk. The Battle of Tabuk took place in the ninth year of the Hijrah. This is after the Battle of Hunayn. And the Battle of Tabuk, as I said at the beginning, it was meant uh, for the Muslims to go up north and possibly, potentially face the Byzantine, the Roman Empire. Now, uh, the Prophet did not know, obviously, that at the time that the Romans basically, they chickened out, they didn't show up, they never came. And uh, the Muslims camped there waiting for them to come and they didn't come. So the Muslims eventually did not actually end up fighting, but they didn't know that. They thought that this would be the big battle. And of course, Allah had willed that uh, the Byzantine Empire be conquered after the death of the Prophet Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and others. They came and they conquered Damascus and Jerusalem and, uh, and uh, Egypt and other portions of Africa. This was all Roman territory and the Muslims conquered uh, that. The point being that in the Battle of Tabuk, ninth year of the Hijrah, the Prophet gave a general call. Every able-bodied man without exception needs to come and join. Only if you have an excuse, you are sick or you know, you have whatever the excuse is, you give a legitimate excuse, then you are forgiven. Now, the hypocrites, they gave many illegitimate excuses and they tried to weasel weasel their way out, wiggle their way out of this uh, battle. And the verses of Surah At-Tawbah reflect uh, this uh, very, very clearly. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala mentions in verse number 39, that uh, if you are not going to help the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if you fail to do so, don't, uh, you don't have to worry, Allah Azza wa Jal will replace you with another. يَسْتَبْدِلْ قَوْمًا غَيْرَكُمْ That Allah Azza wa Jal will then substitute you. And that really is a big eye-opener for us. What Allah is saying, if you don't do your job, I will bring another group that does do their job. If you don't live up to the commands, then another group will come that will live up to the commands. In verse 40, Allah is even more explicit that if you don't help him, then Allah Azza wa Jal has already helped him. If you don't help him, remember that Allah helped him directly when he was expelled from Mecca, the reference is Mecca, and he was one of two people in the cave, and he said to his friend in the cave, he said to his sahib in the cave, don't worry, Allah is with us. Allah is saying, when the entire city of Mecca came together to kill him, no army came to save the Prophet I saved him directly and I don't need your help. This really is giving us the very simple point that, O oh Muslims, when you stand up and help the religion, you are not helping in that sense anyone but yourself. Allah doesn't need you. Your work is not something Allah needs. Allah is saying, if you all abandon him, I'll take care of him. I don't need you, but your help is for your own good. It is so that you pass the test. Allah does not need you. You need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is reminding the munafiqoon that when you give these excuses, you're making an excuse against yourself. It's not as if Allah 
needs what you are doing. You are the ones that, that are harming your own uh, efforts to come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, verse number 75 to 77 represents another tactic of the hypocrites, another tactic of the munafiqun. And by the way, all of these references to the hypocrites, when we read these verses, we should think, am I possibly guilty of even a small amount of what the verse is criticizing? Am I even fractionally guilty? Just one out of 100% maybe something, am I doing something that this verse applies to? That's the purpose of Allah telling us these stories that we need to make sure that we don't at all associate with the tactics and the mannerisms of the hypocrites. Another tactic that they used, and this is a very, very unfortunately common occurrence amongst some groups of Muslims, verse 75 to 77, that some of them, they weren't able to help, they weren't able to give any money. And they said, oh, but I promise Allah, I give you a guarantee that the day that I'm rich, and the day that I have money, you will find me to be the most generous person, and you will find me to be the most upright. Then Allah says that, when Allah gave them from His bounty. Some groups amongst them became wealthy very shortly after this. And when Allah gave them of their bounty, they became stingy, bihi, and they turned away and they walked away. So Allah says, فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ nifaqan." Allah penalized them with hypocrisy in their hearts until the day of judgment because they broke their promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because they lied. Don't they know, verse number 78, that Allah knows their secrets, that Allah knows their planning, and Allah is the knower of the unseen. Subhanallah, this verse is terrifying. You know why? How common is it? Maybe even one of us sometimes we say, you know what? If I had a million dollars, I would be the most generous Muslim. You know what? If I, you know, when I reach the age of whatever, I'm going to become the most best Muslim. And we put this, this, this imaginary uh, impediment. We put this imaginary idea in our heads that the reason I'm not pious is because I don't have a million dollars. The reason I'm not good is because whatever circumstances. And Allah Azza wa Jal is showing, look, there were people before you, this, these groups of hypocrites, they made a promise with Allah that, oh Allah, the day I become rich, I will become charitable, I will become generous. Then when Allah made them rich, they turned around and became the most stingy. You know what, dear Muslims? You are not going to be generous only after you get some money. Your generosity is not related to money, it is related to the heart. If your heart is generous, whatever you have, you will be generous with it. If your heart is generous, even if you cannot give money, you will smile as the Prophet said, a smile is charity. You will be charitable by nature. The minute you and I come and we put these barriers, these impediments, when I reach this age, I'll become righteous. When I cross this barrier, I'll become righteous. When I get this money, these are all excuses. And those excuses are from shaitan. And those excuses have the potential to backfire and to make us a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah amongst the hypocrites. And in fact, even worse than this, verse 79, even worse tactic than this. What happened was when the Prophet requested fundraising uh, money for the Battle of Tabuk. So these hypocrites said, we can't give. I promise the day we have money, we will give. Okay, fair enough, they're lying, fine. A group of Sahaba came. Some of them gave a large amount. And some Sahaba, they couldn't give that much. They simply gave some dates, some small amount. Those same critics who promised to be charitable when they had money, but they didn't give anything, those same critics began, uh, began uh, poking and prodding one another and winking and saying, look at this, he gave some dates. What use is some dates? What's gonna be the value of some dates? So they made fun of a small amount of charity even as they gave nothing in charity. Verse number 79, those are the ones who criticize the believers who give their charity, and they criticize when, they, when the believers only find enough to give from their own efforts. They criticize whatever meager efforts they gave, they criticize that. Allah Azza wa Jal says, minhum. Allah will criticize and mock you. Those who are mocking the believers on the day of judgment, you shall be the ones who are mocked. And this shows us, subhanAllah, this shows us, I call this the, the armchair critic and how popular they are, especially on the internet. And let me not go down that tangent because I have a lot to say about that. But nonetheless, directly related to this verse, no tangents here, Allah is criticizing armchair critics, those who sit back and do nothing 
And when somebody does something, a few dates, they're scoffing and laughing. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that on the day of judgment, your mocking will be turned against you and you will be mocked at. Not only could you not do something, you actually made matters worse by making fun of those who are doing, even if it's a small amount, it's better than you. They're giving some dates, they're doing something, it's better than what you are doing. And this also shows us that a sign of hypocrisy is to always find faults in other people. There are a lot of people like this, that all they do, they sit back and they nitpick anybody who's doing good, anybody who's giving a da'wah, anybody who's giving a, a positive, uh, even if there are some mistakes there, they pounce on the mistakes, they mock, they make fun of. And Allah is saying, what have you done? That mockery is going to be turned against you on the day of judgment. So dear brothers and sisters, don't be an armchair critic. Let's move on to the next uh, uh, section of benefit from the verse here. Also, uh, we're talking about uh, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticized the hypocrites. Allah also praised one group, only one group of people who did not go and gave a false excuse. One group amongst them, they were eventually praised. And that is the famous story of Ka'b ibn Malik. And I strongly, strongly encourage all of you to listen to a lecture or read about the story of Ka'b ibn Malik. I have given a lecture in the seerah. And every, uh, many people have given entire lectures about the story of Ka'b ibn Malik. Ka'b ibn Malik was of those who gave a false excuse and stayed at, at home. He didn't go to the battle of Tabuk. When the Prophet came back, all of the hypocrites, they continued doubling down on their lies. Ka'b ibn Malik was one of three people. Ka'b ibn Malik was one of three people. He came to the Prophet ashamed, shy, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I plead guilty. I don't have an excuse. I made a mistake, I asked for Allah's forgiveness. I made a big mistake, I asked for Allah's forgiveness. The Prophet ﷺ said, you are speaking the truth. You go back to your house and I'll wait for Allah's verdict to come upon you. So Ka'b and three other people, they were punished by Allah by boycotting for 50 days. And then Allah revealed Surah At-Tawbah verse 118. Go read this surah, go read this uh, ayah, verse 118. And those three who stayed behind, those three who didn't go out, they didn't have an excuse, those three, that they were kept in their houses, you know, in prison basically, it's a type of a punishment that was given to them, until this whole earth, Despite its vastness, it appeared very closed upon them and their souls began to close in on them. And then what saved them? This is what will save all of us. And they realized that there was no running away from Allah except to Allah. What a beautiful verse. No one can protect you from Allah except Allah. You cannot flee away from Allah except to Allah. Allah's Rahmah will save you from Allah's Adab. Simple as that. You did something that is wrong, you cannot run away. Dear Muslims, we definitely, definitely have to say something very explicitly. Some people feel guilty and in their guilt, they're like, there's no point, I can't go anywhere, I'm just gonna live my life like this. No, dear Muslims, Allah forgives all sins. You want protection? Allah will protect you from his punishment. And if you turn to Allah, he will protect you. That is guaranteed. Ka'b ibn Malik is an example. And he said in this hadith, a long hadith, he said, nothing saved me except my honesty. That in front of Allah, I acknowledged I made a mistake and that saved him. So too, all of us who are honest. What saved Ka'b? The verse is very clear. They realized that the only thing that could save them from Allah was Allah. And therefore, there is no running away. You can't go anywhere. It is your creator, to him you shall return. So turn to Allah now, and Allah Azza will protect you. Surah At-Tawbah as well, it has a number of verses that are very, very uh, beautiful. Uh, and I especially want to give certain um, uh, verses amongst them so that we read them in a different way. For example, uh, verse 111, verse 111 and verse 112. This is one of the most common recited passages in the salawat and the um, um, uh, the, the, the Jahri or the you know, Fajr and, uh, Fajr and uh, Maghrib and Isha, a lot of times the Imams will recite this verse because it's so beautiful. And it's a description of the believers, verse 111 and 112, that Allah has purchased from the believers their souls and their properties in exchange for paradise. That Allah has asked your life. Allah has asked all that you have. By the way, 
it's as if Allah is saying, Allah has asked all that you have, but in reality, in reality, we live a good life even as we worship Allah. It's just that 2.5% we give zakah, that 30 minutes a day we pray, we, we conform to the model of Islam, and Allah is saying it is as if all of it is mine. They fight in the way of Allah, and they, they kill and they get killed. It is a promise binding on Allah in the Torah and the Gospel and the Injil, and none speak more true than Allah. And so rejoice in this bargain that you have made. This is the supreme triumph. Then in verse 112, that that uh, those that are repentant, those that are worshipping, those that are praising Allah, those that are traveling for the sake of Allah, they are bowing down, they are kneeling down, they are commanding the good, forbidding the evil, and they are remaining within the boundaries of Allah, those are the righteous believers. So this is a good description of the uh, believers. Go read this, verse 111 and 112. Also, Allah mentions the importance of uh, sincerity as well. How important it is just to desire something even if you're not able to do it. Uh, verse 91 to 93, verse 91 to 93, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions when you called out for the believers to come, a group amongst them, they wanted to come, but they were genuinely not able to. They were weak, they were sick, they were not able to physically participate. Allah says, there is no blame on them, they are fine. And verse 92, there was a group of people, they wanted to come with you, but they didn't have an animal, they didn't have the means to come. And you didn't have an animal to give them, so they turned away crying that they wanted to be with you, but they weren't able to physically come. Our Prophet ﷺ said regarding this verse, verse 92, our Prophet ﷺ said, those people, they shall get the reward of all that we have done, even though they stayed in their houses. SubhanAllah. What this means from verse 92, what we, uh, what we uh, derive from this is a beautiful point. We need to aim high. We need to aim for the highest. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't be content with passing with the C minus. Let's go for the very highest of the high. Let's want to be the best of the best and put in whatever effort we can. And you know, you never know, maybe Allah will accept something from us. These people wanted to do the best, but they were prevented. They weren't able to, they didn't have the means, but they tried, they waited to the very end, waiting for some donations to come so that they could purchase an animal. Cause you know, they cannot go without an animal all the way there and they cannot afford an animal. To the very end, the very last day they waited that if somebody can help us, we will go. But it was Allah's will, they were not able to go. So they turned back and they are crying, how I wish we could go with you Ya Rasulullah. They weren't able to go. And our Prophet ﷺ said, they got all of the ajr even though they stayed at home. Therefore, how can we not aim high? How can we not have it in our intention and in our goal? You know what, inshaAllah ta'ala, I will be a righteous Muslim. I will memorize the Quran. I will pray to Hajjud. I will go for Hajj and Umrah. I will do this and that. Put it in your intention. And inshaAllah, strive in whatever way you can. Make a goal, make it a positive goal, and then strive for it. And you know what? Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up doors and you will get to that goal. Maybe you won't get all the way to to that goal, but you will get much more than if you never had that goal. And maybe, just maybe, you won't get to that goal, but because you were sincere, you will get a fraction of the reward. So why not? We learn from this verse that we need to aim high and have a positive goal and a positive niyyah that I want to do something for the sake of Allah. And Allah Azza wa says that those people, they will be blessed and rewarded, even though they didn't do anything. They just had good intentions. How beautiful is our uh, Lord. Uh, another uh, another uh, key lesson over here as well is that uh, the uh, uh, the story of Masjid al-Dirar takes place here in uh, here in Surah uh, Tawbah, and this is verses 107 to verse 110, and it's a very interesting story again that teaches us interesting facts. Uh, the Masjid uh, al-Dirar was a phenomenon, it was an incident in the Sirah in the ninth year of the Hijrah that the hypocrites the hypocrites and their leader, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the worst of the worst, he was, if you read the seerah you will know, this was a person who was the worst enemy. He mocked Allah and his messenger, and he wanted power for himself. He was jealous that the Prophet was in charge, he wanted to be in charge. And Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, uh, he decided, uh, him and his comrades, to open up another masjid 
away from the masjid of the Prophet and the goal was that that masjid will turn people away from the Prophet and that people will come to him, that he shall be giving the khutbah, he shall be leading the people in that masjid. And of course, he didn't say that that was the goal, but it was understood like, why would this person want to build a masjid? What is his goal here? His goal was to divide the ummah and to make the people that are sympathizing with him come to his masjid and then he will have a base. He will have a political base and a physical base to then make his plot stronger. And it became awkward because he didn't say this, but what is the process I'm going to say when, when Ibn Abi Salul is saying that, oh, come to my mosque and open my mosque for me. So like, let's say that there was a grand opening, right? of the masjid and they're inviting the Prophet to come and the Prophet doesn't know what to say that how can I say no he's opening a masjid in the end of the day then Allah revealed Surat At-Tawbah and in it it, it talks about uh, masjid, this masjid, and Allah calls it masjid al-dirar, the masjid of evil, the masjid of harm, the masjid of mischief. So the masjid was called the masjid of harm and this is in verse 107 that there are those who want to establish a masjid to harm and to cause kufr and to cause disunity amongst the believers. They want to make this masjid into an outpost, into a, uh, a base for those who fight Allah and His Messenger. And they swear, we only want good, our intentions are good, but Allah testifies that they are liars. Then Allah told the Prophet ﷺ, لا تقوم فيه أبدا Don't ever go to that masjid. They want you to come, they want you to go to the opening ceremony, do not ever go there. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about another masjid which was in the neighbor, neighboring, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you like district, the Medina had many districts, a close by was Masjid Quba. And it was right, you know, with the next, if you like district or the next uh, neighborhood away, Masjid Quba was close, close by. So Allah said, the Masjid, meaning Quba, that was established upon piety from the first days of Islam, that is the better Masjid you should go to. For in Masjid Quba, there are people who love to be purified and Allah loves those who purify themselves. So. Masjid Quba is praised indirectly, not by name, but the context is Masjid Quba. Now, this, uh, this incident and this verse in Surah At-Tawbah is again very profound for us because it tells us that sometimes there are evil people that can even use the religion for a political agenda that is evil. They can use the religion for something that is not good just because somebody calls it a masjid. So he said, I'm building a masjid. And he said, it's for the sake of Allah. And he is giving qasam by Allah that I have a good intention. And the process, and what is he gonna say? Because we are commanded to judge outwardly. We cannot, by the way, open somebody's heart and, and, and accuse them, but Allah, knows what the heart is. And so Allah revealed in the Quran, Ya Rasulullah, I'm telling you, these people are liars. Ya Rasulullah, these people don't want a masjid for the sake of Allah. They want a political base. They want a, an alternative so that people leave you and they cause disunity and they can then hatch their schemes against the Muslims of Medina. So Allah exposed them. But what is really profound here, and of course, you know, the, the truth is we all know this, we ask Allah's refuge, but sometimes there are, you know, regimes or there are states or there are even individuals who seek Allah's refuge, they use the religion and the symbols of religion for agendas that are not religious. We seek refuge in Allah from ever doing something like that. Religion should not be misused and abused. Religious symbols should not be dragged in for issues that are, uh, that are un-Islamic. Now of course, sometimes religion is used for a positive and that's very good, we should use it. But in this case, Masjid Dirar, it was used for something negative. So we have to be very careful here that just just because somebody calls something uh, religious or saying uh, building a masjid, whatever, if the niyyah is evil and Allah knows what the niyyah is, me and you, we cannot know, obviously, we can only look on the outside, but even something that is outwardly religious can be something very evil. And Allah literally uses the word kufr in this context of that masjid because those people in particular were not Muslims, they were hypocrites. So Allah uses the word kufr, even though those people said we are building a masjid for the sake of Allah. So that's a very uh, profound point here for us to, to think about. Uh, Surah Tawbah as well, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the deeper and the more profound verses as well in Surah Tawbah, which is very essential uh, for the students of fiqh, uh, the students of Islamic law, is verse 60. Verse 60 is the one place in the whole Quran that all of the categories of zakat are mentioned. 
all of the categories of zakat are mentioned. And there are eight categories of zakat, and these eight are explicitly mentioned in verse number 60 of Surah Tawbah. إِنَّمَا الصَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمُؤْلَفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَفِي الرِّقَابِ وَالْغَارِمِينَ وَفِي سَبِلِ اللَّهِ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ These are the eight categories that the zakat is for the poor, for the destitute, for the people in charge of administering the zakat, for those whose hearts need to be reconciled with Islam, for the freeing of slaves, for those in a legitimate debt, and for those in the path of Allah, and for the traveler in need. And the books of fiqh discuss uh, in the details of each of these eight categories, but it is the Quran that lays down the uh, categorization, and it is found here in Surah uh, at tawbah Also in uh, Surah at tawbah there is a verse that uh, uh, is very interesting as well, and it is laying the civilizational, uh, pro the civilizational aspect of Islamic calendars. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly mentions in verse number 36 that in iddata shuhuri indallahi ithna ashara shahra, that the number of months in the eyes of Allah for the year are going to be 12. So 12, Allah says, is the decree of Allah. The day that He created the heavens and the earth, I decreed that there shall be 12 months. Four of them are sacred. This is the correct religion. So this uh, ayah, verse 36, it tells us that the civilization of Islam needs its own calendar. We have our own calendar as well. And of course, we're all aware uh, of our calendar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that I am the one who decreed even down to the issue of calendars that the week is going to have seven days, the month is going to have uh, you know 29 or 30, depending on when the moon is sighted as we know, and the year is going to have uh, 12 months. This is something, the 12 months is in the Quran and the rest is of course derived uh, from other aspects. And this shows us that indeed our Lord has taken care of all aspects of our civilization. In order to be an independent civilization, you need many of your own unique symbols and one of them is your own calendar. Now by the way, uh, the, the years of the calendar, that was something that Umar ibn Khattab began, that he decided that the hijrah would be the first year. But the concept of the calendar and the concept of the 12 months, this is something that is explicit in the uh, Quran. And that's something that Allah revealed. Uh, one other uh, point before we uh, conclude the surah itself, that this surah, it has a verse that some of our scholars of the past have called the most optimistic verse in the Quran. And it also, by the way, one of my favorite verses as well. Uh, and it is said that uh, one of the scholars of the past, whenever he would read this verse, he would cry and he would say something. So let's recite the verse first, uh, translate the verse, and then say what he would say. Verse 102 of Surah At-Tawbah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, وَآخَرُونَ There is another group. So Allah talks about the hypocrites, Allah talks about the Sahaba and the pure believers, then Allah says, وَآخَرُونَ There is another group as well, that they have اِعْتَرَفُوا بِذُنُوبِهِمْ They have confessed their sins, they acknowledge that they're sinful people. They have اِعْتَرَفُوا بِذُنُوبِهِمْ خَلَطُوا عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَآخَرَ سَيِّئًا They have mixed together between good deeds and they have also done some bad deeds. So there is a category, they're not amongst the, the strongest of the Sahaba, they're not amongst the most righteous, but neither are they amongst the hypocrites. And there are another group, they have acknowledged that they're sinful people. They've mixed together that they have some good that they've done, they've done some salah, some zakah, some charity, but they've also done some sins. These people, perhaps Allah shall forgive them, for indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. It is said that one of the uh, scholars of the Tabi'un, of the Sunnahs of the Sahaba, whenever he would read this verse, he would begin to cry. And he says, he would say, this verse is the most optimistic verse for me because I am this servant. I am somebody like this, that I have mixed together good deeds and bad deeds. And whenever Allah says, perhaps Allah will forgive, this means Allah shall forgive. So I'm optimistic that Allah will forgive me. So this verse is a beautiful verse and uh, it's also one of my favorite verses as well. It's something that really, I think all of us can relate to uh, that. We confess our sins, we know we are not uh, pious people and we have mixed together some good deeds. We ask Allah for acceptance. We've mixed together some bad deeds. We're very, um, uh, you know, we're terrified of those and we ask Allah's forgiveness for that. And then Allah says, perhaps, Allah shall forgive, so we ask Allah's forgiveness. So that's a beautiful verse for all of us to uh, keep in mind here. Also, uh, 
verse 122 in the surah is interesting because it is one of the explicit verses out of many one of the explicit verses uh, and of course when i was studying in medina this verse would come up a lot and we would love this verse as well because it explicitly says that a group of people should remain behind even if the rest are going out on a legitimate engagement or battle there should be a group of people that remain behind so that they can increase their knowledge of the religion and so that they can warn their people and ask act as role models and act as preachers and teachers when their people come back so that they can learn, so that they can be aware. So subhanAllah, what this verse teaches us is that from every community, there should be a group of people who are dedicated to Islamic scholarship. We should have ulama and imams and scholars, just like we have engineers and doctors in every society, just like we have teachers and every single f- uh, strand of humanity needs to be represented in every microcosm and every town in every village, so too Allah is commanding that out of every group, let there remain a group behind. Let there be a group of people. Think about who is the best, who is the one that is, you know, because people are different. Some people are better at being, you know, uh, me- uh, medical doctors, others are, are better at being this. So there are some people, they are better in Islamic scholarship. Those people, Allah is saying the community should come together and the community should make sure that this is taken care of. And subhanAllah, this is so true that one of the things that we are really lacking in the ummah today is serious and dedicated scholarship. Scholarship that is engaging, scholarship that is up to date and relevant to our youth. And the reason, one of the reasons why uh, this problem does exist, and I'll be very honest here, is because most of us, we don't think about sending one of our own into Islamic scholarship. It's always somebody else who's going to go. But really, we need to send our best and brightest minds into Islamic scholarship. We need to send our most talented and trained individuals and Allah is saying that from every group let there be a smaller group let there be a group of people that they are dedicated so that they are understanding and studying the religion so that they can act as mentors they can act as teachers and preachers they can act as warners and givers of glad tidings to the people when they come back Islamic scholarship is the backbone of a thriving ummah and we need Islamic scholarship that is relevant and up-to-date and engaging and that's a challenge that I want all of you to think about rather than shift the blame all of us should take ownership and responsibility and the Quran is saying collectively we should think about this um, as well and uh, the final uh, verses of the surah uh, are of course two of the most famous verses in the Quran because they describe the beautiful characteristics of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam verse uh, 128 and 129 لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ Verily a messenger has come to you from amongst you لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُّمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ He is concerned over your pain and suffering. He is eager and anxious over you. Towards the believers, he is full of compassion and full of mercy. Allah is describing the inner psychological framework of our Prophet He would never do that himself. Allah is saying, don't you realize how much your messenger loves you? Don't you realize how much he is concerned about you? He would spend the night awake making dua for us. He would spend the entire night crying for us. He would do whatever he can to sacrifice for us. Whenever somebody came to him for anything, he never said no. He dedicated his entire life so that his ummah can be saved. He had a special dua that Allah gifted him that he could have used at any time. And he said, I save my dua to act as a shafi'ah, as a shash." as a, as a shafa'ah, as an intercession for my ummah on the day of judgment. So Allah is saying this messenger loves you more than he loves anything else. He is willing to sacrifice for you. He wants to be concerned about you. And this messenger is from amongst you. He is not some stranger. He is not from outside. So Allah is reminding us of the blessings of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then in verse 129, فَإِن If they turn away, if they still reject Islam after seeing the the power of Allah, the beauty of the Messenger of Allah. If they still are not convinced, Say, Allah is enough for me. I don't need you. Allah is enough for me. La ilaha illahu. There is no God besides Him. Alayhi tawakkaltu. I put my trust in Him. Wa huwa Rabbul Arsh al And He is indeed the Lord of the Majestic 
throne. This is our message. We invite others to it. If they refuse, that is their business. We don't need them. They need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are thankful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, that Allah azza wa jal has guided us to his faith. We are thankful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with Islam and hasbi Allah. Allah is sufficient for me. La ilaha illahu alayhi tawakkaltu wa huwa rabbul arsh al-azim. InshaAllah ta'ala we will continue uh, tomorrow bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi الله وبركاته شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون